I had been in the building for two and a half hours and I'm still cold. So bless you guys for getting out. This week we are going to conclude our two-week series on transforming prayers. And Job kicked us off last week. And we talked about praying for our city and praying for our church. And the things that God could do when we pray for our city and pray for our church. And this week we're going to kind of shift it to the personal And we're going to pray for God's will in our lives. But one of the other things that Joe did last week that just triggered a memory in my my mind. He said, who uh, was born in Topeka? And people raised their hand. And and who has moved to Topeka? And people raised their hand. And I I remembered when I moved here. And my wife and I moved here eight and a half years ago. And, you know, you kind of have culture shock when you move to a new place. I had come from Dallas, Texas. And we moved to Topeka, Kansas. And they are completely different. Okay? I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying they're just completely different. And you also, when you leave churches and you go from a church in Dallas to a church in Topeka, there's also a little culture shock that goes on as well. There's some buzzwords that people use in church. And uh, the buzzword in uh, Dallas at Northwest was passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. Whenever you would go to a service, you'd hear those words. We were passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. It's eight and a half years later. I'm, I can still say that with without even having to think about it. You move here, and we have some things we say here. We say God is word and people. We say plan A, uh, we are God's plan A. Plan B, there is no plan B. But one of the words that I first picked up when we moved here was transformation. And we use transformation all the time. We had a document that we gave out. It was a little devotional. It's called the Transformation Every Week. And I, I, I always thought that was really funny. Because when I heard the word transformation, I never thought about anything spiritual. I thought about transformers. And what's really funny about that is I, I never liked transformers as a kid. I never watched the show. I never watched the movies, but I, I knew about it. And the thing about Transformers was they started as something. I don't know if they started as, as, as like the, the people robots, but then they would transform into like a car and they could transform back. And as you think about the word transformation, that actually really helps us. There is something that changes. As we pray for transformation, we want something to change. In fact, as we go to the book of Romans, we know that that is God's will for our life, that things change, that we are conformed into the likeness of Jesus. Things aren't supposed to stay the same. 2015 is supposed to look different than 2014 because God is doing something in us. And today what we're going to look at is three things that we can pray in our own lives that I believe Jesus wants to change in us so that we will look more like him this year. The first one is humility. We want to be humble like Jesus And I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you that it's not just in the New Testament that God wants to talk about humility. He talks about humility throughout the scriptures. In the book of Isaiah chapter 66, he says, Who can stand in front of me? Who can come into my presence? He who is humble and contrite in spirit. Micah 6.8, he says, I've shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Knowing your place, knowing where you stand, knowing how you relate to others and how you relate to God is something that is very important to him. We could read the Gospels, the story about Christ, 
And Paul summarizes that really well in Philippians chapter 2. Let's pick up in verse 1. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he uses that word if, and he's saying if these things are true, then this. And those ifs that he is talking about are things that are true if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have encouragement, you have comfort, you have participation in the Spirit. And he says, and if you are in Christ... Then he gives you a command in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He wants his people to be unified. He wants them to come together. He wants them to have one mind, one heart, one love. It's one of my favorite things about this church. We have an elder board who says we are committed to being unified with one another. There will not be division. And they want that in the staff and they want that in our people. But how do you get there? How do you be a unified people? Verse 3 and 4. He said, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what humility looks like. And we know just by reading those two verses how tough it is. We know that in our own houses, it's hard to look at the person on the other side of our rooms, on the other side of our, of our spaces, our wives, our husbands, our children, our roommates. And we know how hard it is to live in humility with them. How hard it is to put their needs in front of our own. And they're like family. We know that it's hard to go to school and go to work and put those people's needs in front of our own. This is a really difficult thing that Paul is asking, let alone coming to church, the body of Christ, and saying, I'm going to walk in and it's not about me, it's about you. Why is this such a big deal to Paul? Why is this humility such a big deal to him? He lets us know in verse 5, It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that Jesus is God. John 1.1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Jesus did not consider being with God, being equal with God, something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He came down and took on our form, which Paul says is the form of a servant. He became nothing. We're like, hey, being human is not so bad. We could be a zebra. But we know from our own experience that being human is not always the greatest thing. That we live every day in some sort of pain, with some sort of suffering. Things don't always go well. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And Jesus came down and took on our existence. He was going to suffer pain, suffer insults, suffer betrayal. He was going to walk in our shoes. 
But he didn't just come to walk and to live. He came to die. And he took a cross. He took a sinner's cross that he did not need to die on, but he died on it to pay our penalty, not his. And through his sacrifice, through his wounds, we have been healed, we have been made right with God. We've been moved from death to life. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he come down and empty himself and die for us? Because of his great humility. He looked at our needs before he looked at his. He came down and paid our debt so that we didn't have to. And Paul says we need to have that same mind. We need to be like Jesus. Every year we take a trip and we call it the mountain trip. And you might not be familiar with that term, but uh, we have a program for first through sixth graders, and it's called the mountain. And at the end of the mountain experience, before we send them on to junior high and our, and our student ministry, we climb a mountain together. And it's a 14,000-foot mountain. It's Mount Sherman, and it is the best and hardest experience these kids have ever had, and their parents. But before we go, we have a meeting and, and we teach on this passage. And it's very important we teach on this passage because you can't do that trip without humility. You have to think about other people more than you think about yourself. And so we train them and we train them and we say, when you go, you might go straight up that thing and it might be easy, but I guarantee you for most people, it will not be easy. And you need to train your eyes to find someone who's in trouble. And when you find that person's in trouble, you come alongside them and you give them a word of encouragement. You tell them they can do it. You might see that they're really struggling, that their pack is too heavy. You're going to carry a pack. You might see that they need a snack and they can't get a snack and you're going to pull it out and you're going to give it to them. Why? Because we want to teach them what the spiritual life is like. And that physical experience is how Christ wants us to live with each other. We're to care about their needs more than we care about our own. And that is the true essence of humility. Why do we do that? Do we do that because we just want to get up a mountain? No, absolutely not. We want to do that because we want to train them to be like Christ. We need to be humble like Jesus. But more than just being humble like Jesus, we need to be teachable by Jesus. Just flip with me a couple books over. We're going to go to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10. And as you're flipping there, I want to tell you one thing about humility and teachability. You cannot be teachable if you are not humble. It's not possible. If you believe that no one has anything to give you, if you believe that no one has anything to offer you, if you believe that no one has anything that can sharpen your life and encourage you and help you in an area, then you are not going to receive anything. The very act of being teachable is being humble and being willing to sit under someone and gain something no matter what the message is. Let's look at being teachable in Scripture. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? 
And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now this is Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion, which makes him by definition a Gentile. Here you have a Gentile man who fears the Lord, who is teachable by God and willing to obey him. He's probably teachable because he's a centurion. He's a man under authority. He realizes when someone is greater than you, you obey them. Cornelius was teachable. Let's look at Peter, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And they came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And here you have the opposite. You have a Jew. And not only do you have a Jew, you have an apostle. And not only do you have an apostle, you have the rock upon which Christ is going to build his church. This is Peter. He says, God, no, no, I, I don't need that. I've never done this. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. I'm going to pass on what you're telling me to do. And the voice came to him again a second time in verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. But it didn't get through to Peter because 16 tells us this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. So here's Peter going, okay, the first time I just, that was a weird thought, I was praying. The second time, you know, I'm really hungry and, you know, my brain's doing some weird things, I'm seeing stuff. The third time he's like, all right, something's going on. I'm going to dwell on this. And I want to tell you that oftentimes when God's trying to teach you something, you can be in a fog. You can't see it. Everyone in your life, everyone around you might be able to see what God is trying to do in your life, but you're like going, I don't know what's going on. Don't just write it off. Stay there. Meditate in it. Go to God's word in prayer and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Am I available for what you have for me? That's what Peter did. It says in verse 17, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Peter's starting to realize something's happening here. The Spirit is at work. I'm starting to pick up on something. I'm going to go. Verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. 
I too am a man. God is at work in Peter. You see, this is a Gentile who is standing in front of Peter. And Peter originally would have said, this man is unclean, he is common. But he says, no, stand up, we're equal. I am a man just like you. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Skip down to 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And Peter got in trouble. You see, people went back to Jerusalem and said, Peter was teaching with the Gentiles. He was associating with the Gentiles. And they brought him in. They said, Peter, what's going on? And he said, man, I had this really weird dream. This strange thing was going on. And the Spirit told me to go with them. And I went and I began to preach to them and tell them about the same gospel that we have seen and believed and received. And as I told them about the gospel, they accepted it and they believed it. And the Spirit came upon them and they were baptized and the Jerusalem church celebrated. And the world was forever changed on that day. And I know that that is true because we are sitting here in 2015, halfway across the world, worshiping the same Jesus and celebrating the same gospel that was brought to the Gentiles that day. All because a group of people were teachable. They didn't hold on to their laws. They didn't hold on to the things they thought was right. They were open to when the Holy Spirit said, hey, I'm going to them too. And so we're called to be teachable by Jesus. Well, how can we be teachable? Earlier you heard David stand up here and do an announcement about the journal. And I want to tell you about my experience with the journal. I open that thing every single day and I read. And whether I've read that passage a hundred times or whether I've read that passage just just a few times, I get something out of it each and every day. When you open your heart to God's word, when you open your mind to the wisdom that he wants to give you, you will find something there. When I was a young and stupid college student, I would do the thing where you just open it up and you point to it and you read. And I was always blown away how every day I would get something out of it. How do I get something out of God's word every day? Because every word is inspired and is there to teach It is there to transform and change me. And if I want to look more like Jesus, I need to know what Jesus says. And so whether that's the journal for you or whether that's something, my challenge to you this year is to open your heart to the word of God. To sit in front of it and let it read you. Let it wash over you and let it transform you so that you will be changed and look more like Jesus. It says in the book of James that if any of you lacks wisdom, and just in case you're wondering who that's talking about, that's all of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should go and ask the one who gives all the good gifts for it. That is a prayer that Jesus desperately wants to answer in your life. Have a heart that is teachable, that will be heard by the Lord, so that he will grow you in the likeness of his son. We need to be humble like Jesus. We need to be teachable by Jesus. And we need to be available for Jesus. Last time I want you to flip. I want you to go to the book of Esther. We're going to be in chapter 4. 
as you go to Esther chapter 4, I want to catch you up on 1 to 3 really quick. We taught about Esther this past summer, but God has sovereignly divined and superintended that there would be a Jewish queen in a Persian kingdom. But the Persian king doesn't know she's a Jewish queen. And there's a war going on between a man named Mordecai and a man named Haman. And Haman's influence in the kingdom got him to uh, get the king to sign a document saying on a future date, all the Jews can be exterminated, wiped out. They're gone. This broke Mordecai. and He ripped his garments and he wept. And then he went into action and he went to Esther, this Jewish queen who he was related to and said, Esther, you have to use your standing. You have to use your place. You have to go and stand in the gap for us so that we might be saved. Esther said, I can't. I'm not the one you're looking for. You see, if I go into the king's presence and he hasn't summoned me, he has the right by law to kill me and I'm his wife and he hasn't wanted anything to do with me for more than 30 days. Mordecai goes into teaching mode. And in verse 14 he says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. You see, Esther, my faith isn't limited to you. If you choose not to stand up, if you're not available in this moment, God will, God will rescue us from another source. But I, I, have, I have a message for you. You and your father's house will perish. But who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And in that moment, Esther was humble. In that moment, Esther was teachable. And in that moment, she said, yes. And she went and she had the people around her fast and pray with her. And she summoned every ounce of courage in her body. And she went and stood in front of the king. And he granted her her requests. And over the course of the story, the king allowed for the people to be saved. And the people were saved. And the story had a great ending. Why? Because Esther was available to what God wanted to do in her life. So what does it look like for us to be available? Think of the story of Samuel. The story of Samuel comes from the book 1 and 2 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel you learn that his mom dropped him off at the temple when he was a, a small boy. as a thanksgiving offering to the Lord. And he was raised by a man named Eli. And I don't know what their room situation looked like, how they lived, but the way I always envisioned this story is one night Samuel's in bed and he hears something. Samuel! And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you hear these little pitter-pattering feet running down the hall into Eli's room. Now, as a parent, I know that pitter-pattering feet in the middle of the night is never a good thing. <laughs> he bursts into Eli's room and he says, Eli, I'm here. What do you need? Samuel, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Pitter, 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 pitter. Samuel gets up again, runs back. Eli, I'm here. What can I do for you? Boy, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Goes back to bed. Samuel, I heard it that time. <sighs> Eli, I'm here. Samuel, I, son, I didn't call you, but this is really strange. And so what I need you to do, when you go back to bed, when you lay there, if you hear this voice again, that is not me. 
Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel went back to his bed and he heard the voice, Samuel. He said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God began to speak to Samuel that day. And he never stopped speaking to Samuel. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. He was an early prophet in Israel. And Samuel did the work of the Lord and he guided the people of Israel because he was available. He said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I believe that that is a prayer that we need to pray to our God. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What do you have for me? Because I believe that you are here for a reason. You are in Topeka, Kansas in 2015 because God has gifted you. He has called you. He has equipped you. He has given you the relationships and the experiences that you need for his will, for his mission right now. You do not need to have a certain level of expertise. You do not need to have a certain financial status. You do not need to have a certain social status to come in and do the role that he has called you to. You need a humble, teachable heart that will be available to him. Why? Why do we need to be available? Why do we need to be humble and teachable? Because the one whom we serve is. You see, when the book of Mark describes Jesus, it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served. How often are we in our homes? How often are we in our places of work, in our schools, in our church, and we expect to be served? He says, Jesus did not come, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to lay his life down as a ransom for many. You see, the one whom we call king, the one whom we call Lord, modeled this very thing for us. And he was available to us to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if he is the one who the will of God in our life is to be conformed to his likeness, if we are to look more like him than we are to look anything else, we need to do the things that he did. And he was humble and he was available. You're handed a little card when you walked in. I want to tell you two things that this card is not. One, this card is not anything that I will ever see. There is nothing that you need to write on this card that you need to impress me or impress anyone else who has it. This card is for you. The second thing is this card is not a New Year's resolution. So we're about four days in, right? We all know New Year's resolutions. They're made to be broken, right? I'm sure some have already been broken. But what this card is, is an invitation for you to take the Lord seriously when he says, I want to give my children wisdom. And so what would it look like for you to have a personal set of prayers that you write down? To write one down about humility. Lord, I look in the scriptures and it says you are humble. And I want to be humble like Jesus. Who is someone that I need to put in front of myself this year? Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone here. How can I love someone more than I love myself this year? How can you change me in humility? For teachability. I'm not looking for you to say, I'm going to fill out every journal blank this year. I'm not looking for you to say, I'm going to read the entire Bible in one year. God, how can I open my heart to be teachable? Your word says, if I go to you and I ask for wisdom that you will give it, Father, give me the humility to ask for wisdom to sit in front of you and let your word read me. 
Because I want to be changed by you. Lord, what does it look like for me to be available for the, to you this year? What does it look like for me to say, all those things that I've held on to, all those things that I've held back, I'm going to let those things go this year. I'm not going to let anything stand in the way of what you have called and equipped me for. God, what is that thing that only I can do because you have called me to it? Will I be available to you? Write those things down. Put this in a place where you'll see it. Put it next to your speedometer in your car, on your desk at work, on your mirror, on your, on your table. And pray those things. Because the will of God for your life is that you look more like Jesus. And if you pray that I want to look more like Jesus, I promise you he will do it. He is faithful and true. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that he is the perfect example of everything that you want us to be. Father, he has walked in our shoes. He knows our struggles. And yet he died for us anyway. Father, may we worship and celebrate him by choosing to live for him. Father, may you make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.